The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Welcome to the Psychovertical Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Kirkpatrick. Uh, thanks for listening in um, to this uh, podcast about all sorts of random things. And I got, I've already done this podcast once, but for some reason it uh, deleted itself. The original, ver- the, the first time I did this, it was a really, really funny. Uh, this is going to be crap because I've already done it all once. So, um, but I did, <laughs> did it about two weeks ago. I've not be, I can't be asked to do it again. So it's been it's been on my mind to to come back and and do it again. So I don't know what happened. Technology. Um, uh, I should say thanks for all the emails and messages about the last podcast about mental healthy kind of stuff. And um, I think a lot of the a lot of a lot of these things these things people often take it very personally when you talk about this kind of stuff. Um, it kind of creates an environment where, where no one ever really dares say anything of any real value or meaning. It's because it's, everyone's afraid of uh, upsetting people. Like I had a few people saying, oh, you have to be, you know, you have to have empathy and, you know, respect these people who have mental health issues. But I, I think it's a little bit like saying, uh, if you come, you know, if you ever meet someone who's got cancer, you know, you should be very respectful for them and, you know, you know, you shouldn't just say, "I oh, bet you can swim a lot faster now you've got no hair or whatever." But but people generally are. If you actually come across somebody who has, you know, mental health issues, then most people are respectful, unless you're like a, you know, a sociopath or somebody. So um, so yeah, so it's uh, it's uh, it's quite. I think it's good to like make people try and think about these things in a in a sort of different way. And I think a lot of people think. You, when you bring these things up you're just being flippant and you're just tr- doing it to get attention but there's there's a much easier ways of getting attention than than uh talking about that kind of thing so um and a lot of the a lot of the things i talk about i'm not actually they're not i'm not i've not sat down and thought about them i'm just sitting down and just saying what comes to mind so i'm sure if i wrote a book about it
So anyway, t- this this week I thought I would have a break or stuff. I need, I really need to start some conversations with people, but I just can't, I just can't be, I just can't be asked to do it for some reason. It's, it's just get, it's getting, it's like I was supposed to be. I've I've got about four or five podcasts on the on. I'm supposed to be talking on other people's podcasts, and I just can't seem to get round to it. And it's. Uh, you know, I don't know why. Like no one's fucking doing anything. Everyone's sitting on their asses. But for some reason, it's it's hard to get it's hard to get around it. So, um, so yeah. So I thought I thought today I'd I'd try and bang through some of my uh, lots of questions and answers I've got sitting on my computer. Now I know I've done this in the past, and there's a very good chance that I'm going to end up like doing some of these again <laughs> because uh, I've. They're all just in the bit. They're all just in a folder, and I can't remember where I what where I've got to in it. So uh, I will uh, we'll whiz we'll whiz through the first few, and then um, the 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 older ones are, are better. So I've also got some questions on uh, on Instagram, but as as usual, you know, like I asked, I asked anybody got any questions, and people said things like. Uh, can you use a day sack at night and things like that? So lots of silly, silly questions people give me. So, um, so I'll, I'll begin with this one. This so this one was from May, May, June, July. So maybe that maybe I've answered this one already. This was just a question from Ben Chidwick. Sounds like someone out of a BBC um, series, uh, and he was asking about. Um, um, love the podcasts. Keep trying to get my kids into them. Oh God, don't do that. Um, talking of kids, I've been taking them on some easy ground in Wales that has involved me setting them, setting up a stance before basically soloing and towing a rope behind me and then bringing them up together, each of them on a strand of single rope and then repeating the process. I've put some protection in so they can practice removing and racking, but not convinced my oldest could do anything if I fell, perhaps a fall, perhaps falling off. Um, so my question is, continue dragging up two strands of a single rope or switch to half ropes? And what about better methods to do this, rope soloing, etc.? There aren't, they aren't very good climbers. That's a bit, not very nice things there. So they're not, they're not really, so it's not really a problem of them pushing, of pushing myself hard on ground, wanting them to, to drag them up. But they want to do some bigger multi-pitch in Ogwin Valley, blah 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 blah. So um, I might have answered this before, but um, a, a few little pointers I could I could I can think of is uh, you never you never know when you're going to fall off. That's the thing about climbing. That's why it's that's why it's not called walking. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you're walking up a path, a lot even walking up a path, sometimes you can like suddenly trip over something or something you know you never know what might happen so you should never really be in a position where you're you know you're just sort of free soloing up um, and if you fall off you're going to take like a 120 meter fall because you you dying is going to really ruin their introduction to climbing so if you're gonna if you're gonna tie a rope onto yourself and tie it to somebody else unless you're an alpine guide then you know you're getting paid to do it then try and think of a system where no one's going to die, ideally, and uh, the sooner you, the sooner you sort of teach your kids how to be there and come up with a system which they could, they could potentially hold your fall, then the more they'll kind of take it seriously and they'll enjoy it, and you're teaching them lots of good skills about, you know, about stuff and like you trust them. Like I remember, I think the first time I ever f- 
held my dad was climbing is it Great West Road or one of those one of those routes in Millstone Quarry near Sheffield, and he was uh, how old would I have been fourteen maybe, and he was climbing up, and the next minute he he fell off and I and I caught him so he didn't hit the ground, so so you've not touched if you've just been like oh I'll just solo up here youth and fell off and I didn't know how to be there then you'd probably be dead now so um so you know so have a, so have a system to be there so first of all is uh. If you're doing multi-pitch routes, make sure you have like a really, really good belay and ideally make a belay that you have like um, an upward pulling piece in it as well. Because if you're a grown adult and you fall off and they try and stop you, there's a good chance they might go flying up into the, into the air because, um, you know, you because of the weight of you and the weight of them. And uh, make sure everyone wears a helmet. Um, again, just because... They can get pulled into the rock if you fall off and it's good to wear a helmet anyway, even if it's like a bike helmet. It's just getting to wear a helmet. Uh, on the subject of of the actual belaying, because of the... Uh, what I would probably do is I would probably, if you've got two kids, I would maybe um, do a direct belay. So you have a you have a belay... Um, so you'd be really belaying on one rope maybe... Um, and that would be clipped directly into the belay with a munter hitch. Is it munter hitch? Alpine, Alpine, uh, Italian hitch? Italian, a munter hitch? No, Italian hitch, isn't it? Italian hitch. No, it's a munter hitch, yeah. Munter hitch. I'm thinking of clove hitch, anyway. So I've not been thinking about climbing. <laughs> I've forgotten all the names of everything. So clipping with a munter hitch stroke, Italian hitch, and uh, and then, so that is, that, that is a, you know, like an Italian hitch is a really good um, belay method. And but then run that rope down to someone else who's just using a belay device. So you have one child who is like pulling the rope through the munter hitch, and the other child is actually giving paying the rope out to the munter hitch. So you actually have like a, a two belay system there, which will, you know, ideally that's that's you've you've got two belays, so you should, you should be okay if you do fall off, and um, you often see this with like guided groups where you've you have like one child like belaying and then another child is belaying as well or all the other kids are all holding the rope or something so that 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 would work you could use a you could you know you could replace the belay device with a um with a grigri or some kind of you know auto locking device that could that, that could work as well um but like teaching teaching people how to use a be how to use a belay device is a is a is a good idea um on the, yeah so if you if you got kids, as long as the ropes are like stupidly small, you know, like as long as they're like eight and a half mil, nine mil ropes, then it's I think I think that's fine. Um, like you're not going to be doing anything like a rope like that. A single person one rope is only going to probably get damaged if you know you you're on. Well, you, if you're on some big loose crag, you don't want to have like single ropes. I don't think some people do. Uh, I think you want to have two ropes. But if there's two two kids on some on edible slabs. Then it's it's fine. Like the only the only way, like if you're on a really thin rope, you know, if you fall off and the rope whizzes down some, you know, some uh, some arete or across like a, an edge or something, then it could break something. But that's not going to happen when you're when you're seconding. You shouldn't be taking your kids, you know, you're not taking up like Stone Overdale or something. They shouldn't be in that kind of position. Uh, usually, if you, usually any route you're on with a ch- with a someone who isn't like a good cl- a climber. Is when they fall off, they just they don't go anywhere. They just st- they're just stuck in that place. You know, they're just not holding on. So um, 
yeah, so I, I would, I would, I would say that's 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 fine. Um, if you climb, sometimes you, you sometimes you might want to climb with four people. So if you've got four people, you can have two experienced climbers and two unexperienced climbers, less experienced climbers. And with that, what you do is um, what the most experienced person climbs and set up a belay. Then they bring up and they, they have the two ropes and they bring up the two other climbers, including the second most experienced climber. And then that and that climber has another rope attached to the final climber who's on the ground. So as soon as they get to the belay, they start belaying the the leader again and then the the other climber on the belay brings up the the, th- the fourth climber so it's very it sounds very convoluted but it, is, it actually works okay um an alternative is you just you just have uh, one rope so you've got like a, one single rope like a 10 millimeter rope i wouldn't do this on like a super super thin single rope but you've got like a 10 millimeter rope and you just attach both climbers um you know like like if you're doing most routes, most classic routes are only going to be the pitch is going to be 30 meters, you know, 30 meters, you know, maximum is going to be 40 meters. And you can just tie the climbers in. One's on the end of the rope and one's like, you know, three meters above them. Just tie an alpine butterfly and uh, clip them in with two lockers. So both climbers are on the, on the same rope climbing at the same time, which, which, which is a system that works, works quite well. Um, uh, and again, like I don't don't do on anything where you're on some overhanging like Chima Grande or something, because <laughs> if one falls off, it's going to pull the other one off. But if you're on like slabs and that kind of stuff, it, that that's a good system because you because everyone's you, everyone's attached to one rope and they can sort of give each other a little bit of, a little bit of support. So I hope that answers your question. Um, I had this I had a weird message. Maybe I already, maybe I already said this. I had a message from a from a dad which was about going walking with someone. Who was um, suicidal, and they went up some, some, uh, some like some big canyon type place, and it was like, and he pushed him, he pushed him into a big pool of water, and uh, <laughs> to see if he wanted to live, and apparently he did. So that was that was a funny message. Anyway, um, this one is about the Petzl Connect, which is a which is a lanyard. I am getting round to the lanyard thing. Don't worry, people keep asking about it. So. Um, hi Andy, how are you? Well, I have a question that maybe you can help me with. Although it may be a bit daft or stupid, I'm sure it will be. For example, what climbing when sport climbing multi pitch with bomber belay stations is it safe to clip into the focal point of say the two chain, two chain connected with a sink with a ring or similar with a pestle connect and then belay my second from my harness or do I need to clove hitch in with the rope as well? I wasn't sure if the connect. Will be okay if the second took a fall. I've spent hours on the net trying to find this out. So again, apologies. I've already answered this question, but um, no. Uh, if you're still alive, this was this was in May. If you're still alive, uh, Trev, then um, hopefully you worked out not to do this. Like te- technically, you could just connect yourself with this, but the, the pencil connect is like super strong, and you can have like a strong locker attached to it, and you could and you know, the belay's bom- bomber, and you're clipping into one bomber piece of you know two point belay so technically on paper you know that 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 could be that could be um safe but you always you always have to have some redundancy in all these in any kind of technique so the classic one is um you know you should always like when you're doing big wall climbing when you're on a belay you should always be attached to two things at all times uh whether what you know both daisy chains 
one daisy chain and the rope, you know, a, a sling locks footed into your belay loop clipped in and then the rope or whatever. And the reason is, is um, if you if you think you're attached to two things, but you're really only attached to one, then at least you're attached to one thing. But if you're, if you're only attached to one thing and you're not attached to that as well, at all you know don't realize then that's that's how you end up having a horrible accident and a funny story about this was once when i was doing did like an ascent of this route zenyata mandata on el capitan and it was very very stormy and um i always i generally when i'm like sleeping on a big wall i will i will um now these days i would because i don't want the knot like on my harness it's quite big so i'd usually like attach the knot to the end of my daisy chain. So I've just got the daisy chain like coming out of my heart, coming out of my sleeping bag, and then then the knots like and it's clipped into the rope. So it means it's just less stuff around your waist and stuff. And um so I got up in the morning, I had to do something like find something in the whole bag. So I opened the opened the the portal ledge and there's no ledge underneath, just like hanging on in you know hanging in the air. So I like get out and I'm I'm like pulling myself across all these slings and stuff to the far end of where the belay is. And I and I get there and I hook my my fifi hook attached to my belay loop into my uh, into like an aider or something into some sort of sl- random sling, and I'm taking my hands off and I'm like looking for some like Pringles or something and get this stuff out. Then I, then I take the hook off and I climb all the way back and get into the portal edge. And then I look down and I realise I wasn't tied to anything. I was like there were I was just somehow the rope wasn't attached to me in the night. So I just been hanging off this like five five euro. Um, fifi hook up there so you know that that's kind of how ha- accidents happen the classic one is where someone you know they lean back and their belay device isn't attached to the rope and they then they die so that's why you should always use a backup prusik because even if your belay device isn't attached to the rope your prusik is attached to the rope so you know all, the, all these things have a good reason um so yeah i would i would always you know you get to the belay and um you can either you can either you can use your um your lanyard to clip into or you know it's almost as easy uh you could always like extend the lanyard so it's as long as possible clip it into the one one bolt then get another carabiner clip that into the other bolt and then you could just tie a bunny ears figure of eight and clip it into both carabiners so then you actually got like three points of contact which might sound too much but it's just you you're making you're making use of one carabiner twice and that might be kind of that might be handy, really. Uh, or you can just like clove hitch the clove hitch your rope in into the thing. But always make sure you give yourself enough room that you can move around. So the rope is like the back up to the lanyard. So the lanyard would allow you to like move around a little bit more. If you want to pull yourself up tight or lower yourself down or whatever, it gives you um, a bit more a bit more room to sort of do that. So yeah, so always always be always be paranoid. Always be paranoid. Never put all your eggs in um, in one basket. So this is a question from Vincent. Um, do, 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 uh, I think he was having the, uh, and I thought he was. I was. I'll make him laugh when he's on his fingerboard. Um, apparently, uh, how do you put? How do you put on a pair of trousers like insulated puffy pants? That's a bit homophobic. Um, we call them just. Um, uh, <laughs> purple pants no puffy pants he means like those kind of insulated pants um is it homophobic to make a joke about that being homophobic i don't know uh when you were on a big alpine climb um exposed steep route in brackets where taking the harness off completely uh would have full potential 
Um, he's got like a sitter harness. I couldn't find anything on the internet about this topic. It's interesting, the internet. The internet used to be a lot better. I don't know what's happened to it. It's I guess the internet now is just all about buying stuff, isn't it? And selling stuff. It's not the the days of the olden, the, you know, in the 90s, 2000s. It was much better. There was a lot more weird, a lot more information I felt on the internet. Now it's just all a bit shit, basically. So I need to come up with a better internet. Maybe like the internet, but using like news, news, newsprint something like that magazines maybe so um so why would you why you would use puff puffy pants insulated pants is uh to begin with is so the you know the, the thing if you're doing alpine climbing or climbing where you're moving quickly you don't want to get hot because you'll sweat and you'll, you'll get cold <sighs> and um so you uh so, you know, your belay jacket, the idea with the belay jacket is you dress for movement and then when you stop, you put on your static layer, which is your belay jacket. And putting on um, static layer on your legs is also a good, good idea. Like if you're doing sort of winter climbing in Scotland or somewhere where you're going to stand around for a long time, then, you know, it will make a big difference, like putting some stuff, stuff, on, stuff on your legs. And quite a lot of, uh, like all these, most of these trousers have got like full-length side zips. You can sort of zip them and get your feet into them. But they don't feature a. So what do you do that belay loop? So it's it's quite simple. What you do is you open the fly of the trousers and pull a belay loop through, and then belay through the fly of the trousers. Uh, if you haven't got a fly, then you just have to pull them down a little bit, like having a piss and belay and belay that way. Um, on the subject of puff puff type pants, uh, like it's, that's actually quite a good little DIY um, DIY project is to make some like puff pant shorts, just like a short, you know, just shorts basically. And you don't need to have zippers, you can have a Velcro down the side. And you just like, you just put them on, you know, you put them on over your over your harness and you don't even put a zipper in it, just leave a slot for your belay loop to come through. And you'll find that makes a huge difference uh, to being warm. And I think Marmot once made some, but no one ever bought them, didn't know what they were for. So probably Japanese people um, bought them for trendy, because they were trendy. Uh, another thing you can, the other thing you can make, which is a much easier project, is to make like a, a, a like a, a scare stroke kilt out of um, material. So you would just make, even if you just made a, a kilt out of some Pertex, and that was it, one layer of Pertex, that would actually be quite, that would actually make quite a lot more warmth, could protect like the bottom half of your body. But you could make an insulated version out of um, the the. The climb shield is the best insulation, I think, uh, synthetic insulation. So you just get like two la- a layer of climb shield and then two layers of very light material. It doesn't have to be breathable. You could just, you could just get like silicone nylon or something. And then you just make it and uh, maybe just have like a buckle and Velcro or something. You just put it around your waist um, and then and then off you go. So pe- people do use that kind of setup now skiing to Antarctica because people... W- People were getting like frostbite on their thighs because people were wearing quite tight, like sporty, you know, outdoor kind of bottoms. So they were getting um, uh, frostbite in thighs. So, so like a kilt idea kind of that kind of works really well for that. So, um, so yeah. Um, uh, what's this one? Um, uh, oh god, this was that was a weird one. Uh, what what weird that one? It's very it's sexual. Um, Here's a one from Ted. Seems that the older I get, the more I seem to get lost in the fog. My root memory seems to be getting skewed so that instead of taking the correct fork in a path, 
I am tending to go right. Speaking of which, someone 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 was saying about um, President Biden that if he came to a fork in the road, he would take both paths. I thought that was quite a good quote. Anyway, the last time I did this, I was I was a few clicks from the wrong path on skis in an Australian winter in Falls Creek. Long story short, I had a fall and popped a uh, cable off a telemark binding and I couldn't find the missing bit. Naturally, it was dark and foggy and very hard to see the cables as the cables of silver. Uh, he dug a trench with his shovel, uh, dug out my old wind pants and remembered I hadn't packed my bivy sack because it was only a short ski to the village for a few beers and some gossip and had no intention of staying late. Okay, that was my first mistake, having two or more beers... Too many was my second. He's Australian. He's about to be an alcoholic. It was long. It was a long cold night with a good bit of shivering. But past experience told me I could survive. As I had my old Das Parker and my plastic ski boots were pretty warm. Come dawn and the weather had cleared and with with good light. Only took me a few minutes to find the missing cable and a few more to refit it. A few clicks back to my tent wasn't enough to warm me up, though I'm. I'm glad a mate was nearby in a nearby hut to make me a cup of tea. I'm going. Uh, I'm getting too old to survive many more freezing nights without the proper gear, but I'm not stopping winter camping until I'm truly old. So I have another decade left. He's 68 at the time. So his question was, how much sleeping bag is enough to stop someone freezing to death, getting seriously hypothermic at the soggy Australian temperatures of around minus eight? degrees celsius to minus 12 in high humidity and would you take lightly insulated pants and uh, a ul synthetic bag um as just in case or a warmer down bag because of the last year's mishap i did a pair of so you bought a pair of das trousers so the synth those puff trousers god that's twice i had puff trousers tonight today via ebay but i'm not sure they will be warm enough to allow me to get a few hours sleep so that's from Ted in Australia. So um, first off, it always sounds like a good idea to just like, I'll just, you know, you get these like suits. It's like a suit. It's like a sleeping bag you can walk around in. It always looks like a really good idea until you have to sleep in one and it's shit. You'll just get cold. It's like there's, there's a difference between sleeping. It's the difference between having mitts on and having gloves on. Like you just want all your body to be touching each other. And sounds sounds kind of rude. Um, but you want your body to be oh actually that that if there was two bodies in there it would be a lot warmer so the same if if there's one body you know one body you know your legs can touch together arms can touch your your torso and everything else you'd be a lot warmer so if you're in like the army or something and you know you you, you just have to sleep where, wherever you are then you might just have to sleep in your clothes and you know some people might wear sort of insulated trousers an insulated jacket and just sort of crawl up into a ball and try and sleep. But it's just not an efficient way to sleep. And you are generally carrying more weight um, if, you, if you do that. So the, the puff trousers and that kind of stuff, they're good if you're having to work and move around in really cold sort of temperatures. But um, as soon as you start walking in them, you'll you'll sweat your balls off. And um, well, speak, uh, speaking of which, there was um, Cass and Jones, the two Aussies who skied to to and from the South Pole like a few years ago. Um one of them he got uh he basically his balls his balls became really inflamed and he thought it was because of uh rubbing uh rubbage from like from skiing and uh but what it was he was wearing his 
his like puff pants when he was skiing along because he didn't want to get frostbitten thighs. And the, he, he, he was sweating so much that he actually got an infection in the hair cuticles of his bollocks. So his, his bollocks like swelled up. You think you're having a hard time skiing to the South Pole until you've got swollen bollocks as well. So, But somehow he managed to, somehow managed to keep on going. That's Australia. That's Australian sport. Yeah, that's the Dunkirk spirit. So, yeah, so, you know, having, having like a, having a belay jacket, if you, if you're gonna, if you, if you haven't got any dust, if you haven't got any puff pants and you've just got your synthetic sleeping synthetic jacket, then that's, you know, that's, that's as good as you're going to get basically. Um, but ideally if you're doing anything where you're considering, you're considering sleeping out, then, you know, if there's a chance of a bivouac, I think you should always have some form of protection. Now that could be a bivy bag. It could be a bothy bag. Ideally, it's a bivy bag and a bothy bag. And ideally, it's a bivy bag, a bothy bag. And, you know, and, and the right kind of clothing, really. Um, but if, you, if you're really contemplating sleeping out, like, you, like a, a down bag is good if you're just sleeping out for one night. Uh, like I really don't, I'm really not keen on down sleeping bags if you have to use them more than like one or two nights, because I think they just they just degrade so quickly, and like a, a down sleeping bag that you've love you've you've used for you know a couple of nights is going to wear the same as a, th- a synthetic sleeping bag anyway, because they just get heavier because the moisture gets um you know gets stuck in them, and you have to protect them. Like if you get caught out in a really you know like a few times I've been caught out where everything just got soaking wet and. You know, like a down a synthetic sleeping bag isn't is still not. You know, if it's really wet, you're losing a lot of insulation. It'll just conduct the insulation out. But if it's warm enough, you can get in it and it'll warm up. Or ideally, get two people in one sleeping bag. You like you're better having. You know, if you've got two wet sleeping bags, you're better both people spooning up together, opening the sleeping bags up, and putting both sleeping bags on top of both people. If that makes sense, rather than two individuals in two separate freezing cold sleeping bags, because that way. You're getting the heat from the, t- the from the other person, which is significant, and you're also getting um, the double insulation of two sleeping bags on top of two people. So two wet sleeping bags is probably as warm as one dry sleeping bag, if that makes any sense. And I think a human body gives out the same heat as as two bars of electric fire, <laughs> whatever that means, and um, it's some some BTUs. And uh, so two people together, you know, you've got a ch- good chance of, of actually drying out a sleeping bag, unless it's a down sleeping bag, then that then that will happen. So, like a, so I would I would I would probably, if it was just for emergency use, um, uh, I don't know, it's a difficult thing. Like you don't tend to carry a sleeping bag for emergency use, even in the winter. One thing you could. You know, you could you could carry a very lightweight sleeping bag, but even then, it's not going to you know for that temperature, <coughs> you're going to want about a 500 gram fill sleeping bag. Depending how old you are, how much food you've got, like if you had a big, if if you're pissed, and you know that's probably not that's probably not good for staying warm either, unless you're really pissed and you won't even realise um, how cold you are. So you still want like about a 500 gram sleeping bag. Like I I think that's kind of the minimum for kind of winter winter camping and even then you're probably going to freeze your ass off but if you can you know if you can uh ideally like an 800 gram down sleeping bag i would i think is like the 
the the norm for like winter camping and even then that's winter camping inside a tent or inside a snow hole uh like above that you maybe want like a thousand gram sleeping bag and if you're a woman you probably want a thousand gram sleeping bag anywhere and a synthetic sleeping bag you probably want one that weighs about one and a half kilos uh, to two kilos for like winter winter camping so um yeah it's a, diff- it's a difficult one that really but uh yeah like if i was going if i was going out and I didn't think if I was going to like when you go skiing for the day, you don't take a sleeping bag, do you? Uh, but ideally, you take enough stuff that you could survive. So you've got a shovel, uh, you should have spare clothes um, to change into. Uh, like it depends if you it depends how many times you've got benighted. If you've got benighted, like you can always survive. Like the thing is, when you get when you get benighted, uh, probably just give up the idea of going to sleep because you're probably not going to go to sleep. Um, you know, ideally just keep going. That's what I say. <laughs> like carry, carry some, you know, what, you know, definitely if you carry a spare head torch between two of you and you've got spare batteries, then why would you, why would you stop? Maybe you'd stop because you're like totally lost. But even, even then, you know, you're not going to lay down and if you've got nothing to sleep on, you, that's, that's not going to happen either. Uh, you're probably going to build some kind of shelter, like a, a snow pit or something you got a tarp you could put that over you um you know if you got a candle if you carry a candle with you in the winter time if you've got a bothy bag and you get inside your bothy bag two people you light a candle that's actually going to create quite a lot of warmth inside the bothy bag make sure you sit and you sleep make sure you sit on your rucksacks so you don't lose the heat um it's just it's just one of those things it's one of those things with 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 climbing is uh sometimes it's worth getting yourself into position of getting benighted and you're seeing how bad it is. Like I, I guess I, I think I remember I once tried to hitchhike somewhere and I was to sleep in a ditch, and I didn't. For some reason, I didn't get my sleeping bag out. I just slept in all my clothes in a ditch. It was fucking horrible. And uh, <laughs> since then, I've tried tried to avoid doing it. And uh, I've, I've got benighted a few times. Um, like on El Cap, I got benighted. And uh, but it, when it's when it's warm, it doesn't matter. And if you're really tired, you just you just fall asleep. So, uh, like sometimes just, just, you know, you just have to stay warm. Like look, you look at Doug Scott and uh, Dougal Haston, they got benighted like on the top of Everest basically. And they had no sleeping bags or anything. And they survived just by like massaging each other's feet and they build a, they dig, dug a snow hole, the snow hole saved them. And so it's all, it's, it's, you know, all is not lost basically. Watch that film. All is not lost with uh, Robert, Robert Redford. So, um, yeah, it's just one of those. It's just one of those things. Like you're old enough, you're 68. You shouldn't be getting stuck out in the in the middle of nowhere. So anyway, so this one's from Emil. Uh, actually, he sent me another one later on because he, he sent this in September. I never replied to him. He sent me another one later on. I'll read that uh, later on. So oh, this is another Petzl Connect one. Oh my god, I'm getting all these Petzl shite. Hi Andy, I was wondering what your thoughts are on the Petzl Tiblock and Wild Country Rotman. I read a few articles. I've, read, I've done this already. Hmm, it's ringing, it's ringing a bell. So it's tra- it's, it wants to know what what what's best to use, a Tiblock or a Rothman. Now the new Tiblock uh, works very well. The old Tiblock worked well, but you had to have the right kind of the right kind of carabiner. Um, uh, you need a you need like an you need like a round bar carabiner. Like a lot of these kind of funky carabiners, like the um, iframe carabiners, they don't work very well with the with the uh, with the tiblocks you really need a 
right kind of carabiner for it, like a round carabiner. Um, so you need to sort of practice with it. And the Wild Country rope man, so you've got a rope man, you have the one and the two, and then you have the three, which turned out didn't work, so it doesn't exist anymore. So you have the one and the two. Um, the one is very is lighter because it's got like an aluminium cam uh, to still do that one. So the one is probably the better one for emergency kind of use. And um, But with, with all these things, you, you just need to practice with them. If you practice with them, they're going to work. But if, you, if you've never used them before, then that's when you have you have problems with them. So I might have told this story before when we I went to the Ruth Gorge in the wind to try and do this sort of new route. And on the, like on the th- second pitch up it, uh, Paul Ramsden somehow managed to pull the ice, ice axe clipper off his harness. It was instead of, it was like a black diamond harness. And instead of having a piece of webbing, he just went through a piece of, uh, Hypalon, which is, which is not actually very strong. So it just got ripped off and all the ice screws went falling right down, back down to the bottom of the route. So we tied both ropes together and I upsell down and I managed to get them. And then I was going to just do my back up on my rope men at Mark 1s. And they wouldn't work. The, the rope was an 8.2. And they wouldn't grip They wouldn't grip on the rope. Um, which was kind of a, which is, which was a bit of a problem. So I'm not sure why that happened now. I'm sure I'd, I knew at the time why it happened. But in the past, I had a problem with a rope man where the the locker was very, very big. So it meant that when the rope was, a, was through it, a thick rope, like 11 mil rope, with a thick carabiner, it meant the actual teeth of the cam didn't grip onto the rope, it was just the round part. So you would like start jumaring up and then it would just like slide back down again. So I would just say with all this kind of gear is to is to just practice with it, like hang in a tree, go up and down and uh and see see what works. Um like the what I would advise if you were carrying rescue kit would be probably to to carry a um Will be to carry something like a a, a micro traction. Like if you're doing like a big multi pitch routes in sort of remote places, then the micro traction is good because you can use it to to haul with. You can use it to jumar with, and uh, it's a pulley. And uh, you can, if you like, like like um, so what's it called? Self self not self lining. I wouldn't. I would. I'd be very wary of using a, a micro traction for self lining because the because the little pulley on it, um, the pulley on it, it's possible for it to get clipped off. So I'd always use, if you're going to do this with a self-lining, like the classic thing is to use a shunt. A self-lining is like top rope soloing where you have a rope coming down. Uh, I'd, people do use them, but I'd, uh, I'm not that keen on them because you know you always have to have a backup to them. Because the, So I had, when, I, when I soloed, I soloed some route on El Capitan, and there was a bit where there's like a free pitch, it was, quite, it was kind of run out. It was only five nine, but there wasn't really any gear on it. And I'm climbing, I'm climbing up there, and I've got the, I had like my soloing device. I had the silent partner, and the rope came from the silent partner into a micro traction, so I could pull, um, I could pull uh, slack through the micro traction. It would hold the loop of slack, and then it would feed through the, through the uh, silent partner. And I'm like, I'm kind of up there, and suddenly the little tab on my leg loops that, that holds your leg loops into the belay loop, it just got caught onto the onto the cam and it pulled the cam and it really and it locked the cam so the cam was off rather than on. And then all the rope just like whizzed through it. So it meant that no rope would come through my through my silent partner, so much weight on it. So it's like typical, like that's not what you want to happen, especially especially if you're if you're self lining. So um I think I've I've done some 
I've done some things about self-lining on my uh, on my website, um, like rope soloing. It's also a bit in me, myself, and I, but it's a, it's a dangerous business. So, uh, you know, get a good system that, that works. And Dave McLeod has got some videos about it as well. Um, I think he uses a Grigri, which I, I wouldn't use most personally, but Dave's, you know, <laughs> you know, people do what they want. So um, this one's from Alex Scully. So this was from October. I'm sure I've not been doing this since October. So hi, uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, so this was. He wants to go. I want to ask a question about regarding expeditions and tips you have for mountaineering, mountains near us. My friends and I are planning doing a couple micro expeditions to a mountain near us. It's fairly remote mountain, and we're going unguided. Ooh, don't do that. <laughs> um, but not unprepared. I was wondering if you have a couple of how to conduct a successful expedition, uh, things you wish you had known, things that most people think are necessary to end, necessary but end up being useless, or just things that you had to learn the hard way. It might be helpful knowing it's a local mountain, so there's not much international red tape. I wonder where this is, Alex Scully. So Alex, um, so you want to go, you're going to a trip to expedition on like a mini sort of warm-up expedition to try and learn some skills uh it's all i guess it's all about um most of it's about traveling like like navigation obviously is very important like you need to practice your navigation before before you're going anywhere where you don't know where you're going because you want to get where you're going to so i would always say to people um you know practice practice your navigation before you go there and then when you're there you know practice your navigation <laughs> you're like navigating in a white out like do you know how to use a gps if you've got a gps do you know what to do when it doesn't when it stops working uh like how to read a map how to you know feel the the, the contours through your feet uh understanding you know your own pacing and timing and all that kind of stuff all that kind of navigational stuff is very important and that's that's a good thing to practice before you go and it's good it's a good thing to sort of to sort of build into your practice like okay we're going to stop at this point here this is sheltered you know i can tell on the map this, this bit is sheltered here and there's a steep bit here and the distance from here to this to the top is you know it's like 25 minutes and then you do it and it takes you um you know t- someone was telling me they were doing something where the it was like a timed a timed run and he said it would take him 10 hours to do it because it was like four miles an hour blah 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 and it ended up taking like 16 hours so it's it's good to it's good to make a note of of what you expect things to be uh when it comes to navigation and then uh and then and then reappraise like what really happened because you're trying to you're trying to roll in all your experiences you know you've got this you'll read a book about navigation and then you want to get out and, and start practicing it and when you practice it some things will be like spot on and other things will be will be different so you know you can even just you can even even practice navigation you know around where you live just like you, know, you can look at how far you know two blocks are of a street or something and you can like walk it and see how long it's going to take you and then you can work out how long it takes you to walk 100 meters how long you know how many paces it takes 100 meters and all that kind of stuff and then and uh, just note it all down because it's very easy to forget all that kind of stuff uh, write down you know, make a little card which has all your pacing on it and also all your all your timings and, and even write on there, 
you know, to magnetic, you know, variation, like adding it on, when to take it off and all that, all the little things you can forget and then laminate that and then stick it in your map case. Um, even stuff like a map case, like how you use a map case is not as easy as you think until you've been out in the, in, in bad weather and stuff. Like where do you pull it? How do you stop it blowing away? You know, you need to have a carabiner attached to it. You need to have a, you need to have a very good system. Um, otherwise you can have this like, this idea of how things are going to be, but when it when you actually get in a full on, a full on storm, then you you know, and it's a whiteout, and you don't know where the hell you are. You're not in a position where you can just say, "I can't do this. We'll just have to stop." Yeah, well, you'll have to do that anyway. But you need you need to you need to have your skills up. So when that happens, you need to have some sort of confidence. Like like we are walking along the edge of a cliff here, but um, I know there's a cliff there. I can see my map. I can see where, which where the compass is going. So what we'll do, we'll do like a dog leg. So we'll walk away from the cliff for, you know, for 500 meters and then we'll turn and then we'll hit this, you know, this there's a there's a feature there like a stone wall or something and then we'll follow that, you know. So it's just, it's just, it's like, it's throwing these problems at yourself and then you can, uh, uh, you know, that, that that's kind of good. So the navigation stuff. And then, and then for these kind of trips, a lot of it is not necessarily, if I don't know if you're climbing, but it's just about camping. It's about having a really really solid system and again you could do this before you go away like if you're everyone should have a job so when you get to the where you're going to get like ideally always stop in the daylight um so stop somewhere good uh stop somewhere you're gonna, you're gonna have some kind of shelter and then you know someone should be putting up the tent or two people should be putting up the tent one person could be putting the stove on already before you get into the tent start melting the water beforehand uh like always before you actually before you do anything as soon as you stop have something to eat have something to drink if you've got something already made and then that'll give you more energy to to do it properly like the biggest problem is when people get tired so the classic thing is you put the tent up and you leave all your stuff outside the tent and you all crawl in and you've made some food and then you just like zonked out no one could be asked going outside then it snows like a meter of snow you can't find anything you've lost your shovel lost everything so you really have to have a really good system as you come in you put the tent up you someone builds a wall around the tent you know on on one side where you where you need a wall if you do you might not need a wall but make sure everything's well you know always always set up a camp as if you're going to deal with some like horrific weather if the weather looks good it's generally going to get bad that's why I always I always find that so you know but someone goes in someone lays all the mats out someone lays all the sleeve mags out um while the other person's cooking you know get a big bag fill it full of snow for uh for when you're going to cook if you're doing winter camping always dig a pit for your feet to go into and a place where you can uh, cook and if your stove sets on fire you can throw your stove into the pit and that might that might save you and just have a really good system you know you want just know where everything is um and and then the, and the next day like do the same way like break everything down in a, in a, you know, some person, some, one person stuffs all the seam mags away, one person puts the stove away, one person starts dismantling the tent, pulling all the, the, the sticks and else, everything else up like that. So, so yeah, so the, and, and keep everything tidy, like keep your tent tidy, uh, to always carry a brush, brush all the snow out of your tent, be really scrupulous about uh, drying everything. Um, you know, you can, a tent can be very warm in the winter, with your stove going inside there so just watch out for carbon monoxide poisoning uh build a windshield in 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 podcasts here i've talked about you want like a you want a gap between your between your where in winter where your where your pan would sit you probably want a gap 
above that about like an inch or three centimeters an inch uh, to create more space to combust the carbon monoxide or carbon dioxide, whatever it is, the bad stuff. Um, so build a windshield and then it'll just lift it a little bit up there. Then you're not going to suffocate or die in your tent. If you be very wary of using like um, sort of reactor, reactor jet boiled kind of stoves, so they produce a huge amount of uh, carbon monoxide. They're like they're they're pretty deadly. So if you're going to use one of those stoves you know use it you know ventilate the tent really really well and uh like i would i would always use this as, as a as a to, you know i would always use a liquid fuel stove in in the winter time because uh gas stoves are, are a nightmare in the cold so uh like you really you always want to build up a lot of experience like if you can build up experience of using like an, an like a, a whisper light i reckon is probably the best stove anyone's made so far msr whisper light because it's it's uh like you know, people might say, "Oh, it's not an expedition stove." Well, we use it. You know, we I use it on use it all over the world in Africa, Middle East, Australia, New Zealand. Use it on Denali. Use it in Patagonia. Um, like an XGK stove is a good stove. I, 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 maybe it's a better stove if I don't know what's a better stove for actually. <laughs> but I just find that you know you, you'll hear stories of people saying. Oh, he had a whisper light, and we're on Denali, and it didn't work or whatever. But I think it's, I don't, maybe just people just aren't very good at, just don't know how it, how the stove works, or they've, or there's something wrong with the fuel, or they've got like water's got into the fuel, and it's you know it's causing problems or something. But I find the whisper light is a very, is a very good, is a very good stove, and it packs down small and everything else. So, but anyway, but whatever stove you've got, like you know, you make that use that time to learn how much how much fuel you use how to uh you know like different ideas of cooking like if you if you're somewhere if you're using a, a polk and using polks and skis that's a really good te- you know really good time to like practice like roping up with skis on and polks and seeing what that what that's like if you're going to do a, a bigger expedition but also bring along stuff like fresh food like bring along like eggs and flour and uh frying pan and practice you know, if you've got like a bad weather day, you know, like your your morale on a trip is what is what's going to kill you. You know, it's what's going to make you go down. It's not necessarily the bad weather. It's going to be like low morale. So, you know, practice like baking, you know, try and work out how to make, you know, the classic one is just make um, uh, chapatis. You know, you only need flour and water, uh, but you can, you can try practice making a pizza or whatever. But just, you know, even if you go out in, and nothing's happening you can still learn a lot of skills um you know just for that might come in really really handy so yeah so like patience is a really important mountaineering skill that no one ever really talks about um like if you go to patagonia you can have a lot of you have to be very patient because you might be there for might go there for like several times and get nothing done so it's being able to just sort of uh stew in your juices is a is a is a good skill but uh it'd be that'd be, it'd be amazing to be so close to mountains that you could you could head off there and you know and have some sort of uh fun adventures and and learn all this kind of stuff so the hard the harder you the harder you make it the easier it's going to be probably later on you know when you get into doing other stuff so um this is from thomas uh, hi andy i'm a rel- relatively new to ice climbing i'm relatively new into ice climbing Ice waterfalls, they're the best kind of ice. They're the best kind of waterfalls to climb. I when I when I took my course, I did it with glacier crampons, which felt tricky 
for getting a good foot placement. And since then, I've got dual point ice climbing crampons from Simond Decathlon. I have I have then experienced quite some times not to get good penetration ice with the crampons bouncing after a kick or little penetration. I've been wondering if the problem is my footwork, more especially the kick, or if it would be anything else with the crampons. When I, cl- I obviously Thomas is not English isn't his first language, if not like not mine either. When I climbed, it was usually qu- quite cold, around minus ten Celsius, and I'd say that the ice is quite brittle. During my pra- last practice, I was trying to see if kicking with the point of the foot a bit upwards, lower heel, would help, as as if I was kicking my boot instead of the crampon, but it did not notice any improvement so far. My next thought is to borrow some different crampons, see if how it feels. The pics of my current crampons look quite wider than the ones on my ice tools. I also heard that monos work better for ice. Ice. Uh, the other thought is my books, my boots are tighter. My boots, his boots are too tight. I also feel that many times I'm either I either get a good foot purchase on the first kick or I don't really get one, despite the number of kicks. Maybe I'm not being precise when kicking again. I will try to pay attention to look more at the foothold until the foot is well placed. So um, it's interesting. You know the, these, the Sherpas, when they were climbing K2 in winter, one of them had like Rambo crampons on, like Gravel Rambos, which are, I thought it was kind of funny because they're heavy, you know, heavy ice climbing crampons. So uh, yeah, so yeah, cra- yeah like crampons are amazingly important. I don't think people people give it enough thought, but your your ice is very slippy stuff. Whether you're walking on it or you're on like an ice slope or or whatever, or you're on vertical ice, um, you really have to have like so much confidence in your feet. So when you're when you're ice climbing, you're not really hanging off your arms. You're standing on your crampons really. And although the ice often might feel like it's overhanging, generally it's always vertical or less than vertical. So, so if you can feel comfortable on your feet, then it makes a it makes a massive difference to uh, to how happy you are. So having having good crampons is absolutely vital. Now, I would always I would always recommend people go for monopoint crampons. Like the guy on K two in winter had monopoint crampons on. So. Um, so monopoint crampons, there isn't. You're not climbing on one crampon. Not one. There's not one point. There's actually three points because a monopoint crampon is the, the the two front points. Uh, it's the two secondary points and the front point. So what you, you're creating like a tripod of those three points when you're climbing. You're not just standing on one little one little point unless you're like mixed climbing. Then you are. Um, so, and the crampons have to fit your boots really well. You don't want any kind of movement on them. And you want good kind of coverage all around your boot. Like if you had really massive feet and massive boots, you might end up with like an over, like a an overhang on your boot. So if you want very, you know, often you what you want to be able to use is all the parts of your crampon. So you want to be able to use the heel of the crampon, the in the inside of the crampon, inside edge of the crampon, uh, sometimes the outside edge. You don't want to just be like focusing completely on your on your front point. So a classic thing if you want to. When you're coming to like place an ice screw, if it's kind of steep, you will um, if you can find somewhere to get your heel on. If you can get your heel, then it it just takes the strain off you because you're actually kind of just standing on the bone really. 
it takes your strain off your off your calves and you can just kind of get your weight over your heel and sometimes you get your weight off over like both heels and it just feels more comfortable um you know some kind of rounded you know rounded kind of ice formations you know you can just sort of kick your whole like a rail the whole side of your foot into that formation and you've got like you know so much more um sort of perches rather than just trying to sort of balance like one or two you know you might, might just get like one secondary point and your mono point into it but the but the other point's not in there so so trying to trying to maximize all your points is a is a is a good idea now some crampons are designed more for for like snow climbing so you're doing like a big you know classic big alpine gully you don't want to go up an alpine gully just stay away from those things but you know it's like for snow climbing so for perches on snow so you've got very long you know big two big secondary teeth coming out the front of your crampons and then you often either you have like you know swooping forward secondary teeth or you have like vertical to secondary teeth which is supposed to be more for mixed mixed climbing really um or mixed climbing old school kind of mixed climbing so what ha- what happens is uh it it would take a lot of uh it takes a lot of effort to to push you know two big massive chunky teeth uh into the it's like trying to climb with the ads of your cramp of your egg sacs rather than the pick you know trying to get this trying to get these big massive chunky you know like two millimeter thick teeth and sticking to the ice is not very easy and what you'll probably find is is you know they'll only go in a little a little ways and then your foot is uh you know your your foot is like sticking right out from the ice so you're putting like a huge amount of leverage on the points and you and you're not getting your secondary points in and you're just creating a lot of strain on your on your calves so um if you, you you know you could try and make them sharper that might do something but they'll become blunt uh very very quickly and uh you know with a, with, a, with a model point you can usually you can usually kick you can usually kick the point you know, you can usually kick the point. It'll go all the way up to like the toe of your boot, so it'll just bump up against the toe of your boot. So you wanna, you wanna like, I, I tend to try and I try and kick as if I'm trying trying to kick a football up into the air because I want to keep my my heels kind of level. Now, as soon as the as soon as the the cramp the the mono point is in the ice, you wanna why you why you're dropping your heels is you're trying to as Johnny Dawes said it. Imagine if you had, imagine if you're trying to land a helicopter on the on the ice like what angle would it come in at to land you know it needs a flat surface to land on so if, if the if the angle is at 45 degrees the helicopter come in at 45 degrees does that make sense that doesn't doesn't make sense to me but um but what you want to do is you're lowering your heels so you you're kind of you put you're forcing your weight of your feet into the ice like down into the ice where if you lift your heels up you're actually forcing the weight out of the ice so if your if your if your monopoint or your crampon points are not in very well and you're lifting your heels up, you're just going to shear the point out. Or if you drop your heels down, you're actually going to push the points into the ice. So that means your 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 feet aren't going to come out. Now, I don't mean like extremely lower your heels down. Well, you can do that, but you basically want your heels pointing. To, you want your your feet in line with the horizon. Basically, you want them like at ninety degrees. Is that ninety degrees? Ninety degrees. Yeah, ninety degrees to the you know to the ice basically whatever whatever the angle is and uh um and once you once you get your crampons in it's a little bit like if you ever go on a slab if you're slab climbing 
you know, once you put your foot in the position, you stand on it. If you start moving that foot around, the foot's going to pop off. So same with your crampons. As soon as you place your feet in this position, try and keep them there. Like don't wiggle your heels around because the crampons will just um, will just kind of pop out. So I would probably say if you're going above, you know, if you if you're going above, like on 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 pure ice, like I think you really need to have proper ice climbing crampons. Really, if you're just doing easy easyish winter climbing. Alpine climbing, then then those kind of big chunky crampons are fine. But if you're going to be climbing proper ice, like if you look at the if you look at the routes that people are climbing, if you think about something like the north face of the Eiger, you know you're not really generally when they're the first ascent, they're not really climbing proper pure ice. They're climbing like this kind of weird mixed mix. You know, it's not like water ice. It's not like smooth, transparent water ice. It's a mixture of kind of frozen very hard snow and all that kind of stuff and there's a if there's a little bit of ice there they'll might just like chop it away and they'll be standing on like a foothold with it so for for pure ice which people climb now i think you really need ice climbing crampons monopoint crampons so the crampons i've always used were um are like petzl dart crampons which have been around now for a long time and i think they're still one of the one of the best crampons because they're very very simple and you can get all these modular crampons, but I think my dart, I've had my dart crampons for like a long time and they're still, uh, they're still in very good, still in very con- good condition. Like I used to work for, I worked for, for uh, Black Diamond for a while. And I remember they once, <laughs> they once wanted me to find out what the cramp, what, what Charlie Moser crampons were made out of because they just lasted forever. And uh, I got a pair of the Sabretooth crampons, I remember when they first came out and they literally lasted one trip and they were just worn down to to nothing and that's probably to do with they were well you know they tried to make them light so the, the metal thickness was less but yeah the the simond crampons which then became petzl crampons were like amazingly amazingly robust and tough so yeah um another question uh so this was emil um so I am about to re-sling some old cam C4s and I would really like to do it with a a beer knot. Is it a big problem that it will be difficult to inspect the tails? If so, is it a bad idea to do a few stitches to fix the internal tail? Maybe with a not maybe with not so pointy needle. I'm struggling to understand why it's apparently no go to Lark's foot a, a dynema sling through the through the thumb loop 50 percent strength of dynema sling will be about the same as the rest of the cam thank you um so that's emil so yeah, yeah re-slinging cams um i think if you're gonna uh, i think I'd, is it like eight i think maybe it's like eight euros to get like a cam re-slung and then you have to pay some postage money but i think that's actually a very good deal for the for the for the for the you know what you're getting you know someone has to sit down on a sewing machine and sew the sew the things like slings like back on because you're getting the you're getting the you're getting the right material uh, and it's made and it's and it's, it'll be tested and it'll be the right color and everything else so when you're doing like in the in the in the old days people used to sling their own cams I think now they just like throw them away because they're they're just they're a lot cheap lot cheaper than they used to be is um so they would sling them with uh, some people would use like Dyneema cord. Uh, some use people just use ordinary slings and tie it with like a, a tape knot. Um, 
a beard knot. Yeah. Your beard knot is that where you you have tubular tape and it it's a tape knot and the but the knot the tape goes all the way through with the other the other the other sling. I should have I think that's what that I think that's what it is. So you look like you end up with like a a tighter knot. Now I'm not really I'm not really I won't really be keen on that. I think I'd rather. I think I'd rather just get some five. Like you have the problem of you have a big knot with a Dyneema, uh, but I probably just if I had to make the choice, I'd probably just get a uh, just use the Dyneema cord maybe and uh, and just tie it with the Triple Fisherman's and do it that way. Um, the problem with the with the, with nylon webbing is well, it's fine when it's brand new, but it but as soon as it starts getting any sort of when it becomes degraded and used, it becomes it comes it becomes a quite weak, and especially if you've got like the the nylon webbing that goes around like a camelot, it's actually doubled over where it goes goes around the camelot, so that makes it you know that's that's kind of increasing its strength. So yeah, I'm not really that keen on the on the nylon. Um, Lark's footing a sling through the thumb loop, um, like tech. Technically, technically, uh, yeah, technically, you 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 can get away with it, but like, but it'll be there forever, really. It's always going to be lax footed on there, and I think it just creates like a weak, a weak point in the in the in like you technically you could put a nut in like a climbing nut, widen up, and lax foot a sling to it rather than using carabiner, and technically that would probably work and be safe for that one fall but you won't want to do that all the time because eventually it's gonna it's it's gonna break i expect um yeah like like the no the the current thing now a lot of people are confused by is that when you do a when you build a an equalized belay with a cordelette is people aren't tying a knot in the bottom anymore they're tying they're uh they're, they're tying a lark's foot so they're just like lark's footing the all the strands so it's into a carabiner so it means you don't have a knot so it's easy to untie but everyone's been everyone's been told like all my life i've been told like not to lock for something because it makes it it makes it less strong and so you know it kind of goes against what everyone's been told but then everyone's been told to to eat that, that diet cook's a good idea and eating shitloads of uh um cereal which is which is like which is which is not a good idea so it's probably the same really um the thing about the thing about the strength of slings as well is what you have to remember is that str- is that quartered strength of the sling is the sling is when it's brand new so if so if you have a rate if you have a, a ce test and it has to be has to be 24 kilonewtons to pass the test then you can you can tweak your dyneema to be exactly 24 kilonewtons so you can make it you need know, like Originally, you know, you had like sixteen millimeter Dyneema slings, or I think it was sixteen millimeter. Like you get like twenty-two millimeter nylon slings and sixteen, you know, sixteen millimeter Dyneema slings, which are pretty chunky. And now then they went down to like twelve millimeter, and then they went down to eight millimeter. So they're they're you know they're really on the on the edge. Probably I would have thought of how uh, of, of of the you know they're, they're right on the margin of being of being hitting the target. But that's for like a brand new sling. Like that's not a sling that's been abused and abused and got wet and got cold and had stuff spilt on it and thrown in a bag and gone mouldy and then put in the washing machine and all that kind of stuff. So the all all the ratings are just for brand new gear. 
So I'd always like put, you know, I've got loads of slings that I've just found when I've been climbing. And, I, and I, I've got so many now, I don't, I don't remember which ones are the good ones, which ones are the bad ones. So yeah, you know, you never, never really trust any of them. So I'd always, I would always, I'd always factor that in, like to have a, to have, and if you're on an aid route and you've got, you know, you've got 20 cams in and the sling breaks on one of them, then it doesn't really matter because you've got another, you know, you've got another 19 cams to protect you. But if you're climbing and you only have one cam in, you know, on the grit stone or some run out route and you fall and the beer knot somehow comes undone, then, you know, was it worth it? Was it worth the eight, the eight euros? Like if you're super, super skin, then, you know, and you, you can't even, you know, like, I don't know. I'd always, I'd always, I think, I think you can save money in other places, um, you know, rather than rather than tying your own slings. Uh, like you could, you could be someone who's like super hard up and doesn't have any money whatsoever. But even then, I'd probably just, I'd probably just stick to a tape knot, and I don't use a tape knot if it's Dyneema because the Dyneema's, it's too, uh, it's too slippery. It could like slide, slide through. Um, you know, you can only use a tape knot if it's like nylon tape, not Dyneema tape. And uh, as for stitching things, uh, yeah, you're not gonna if you you could put some stitches through nylon, you're not gonna damage it because you're actually just you're just separating some of the fibers to put the to put the needle through. But you know, you just got you're only you're only ideally once you've tied your tape knot, the the ends should be long enough that when you weight it like you want to really bounce test it so it's really 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 weighted um and then you're going to be you know then you can see what's going on and then just probably just like save up your money save up your money and then you can actually pay to get to have them uh to get some to get someone to sew them sew them if you if you need some if you need some money to to sew them give us a give us a bell and maybe I'll, I'll send you eight euros actually so someone sent me the other day someone sent me they were like, here's 10 euros. Uh, I wish it could be more, but I'm really skint at the moment or something. So I ref- refunded him his eight euro, uh, refunded him 10 euros and I sent him 10 euros instead. <laughs> we never replied. So I think he probably just like was like, huh? I don't understand what happened there. So um, so yeah, it's good good to give something back. Um this is the f- this is the f- this is the final question. So hi Andy. I'm really enjoying your Thing thing is, I wonder if uh, question. My aid climbing experience amounts to pulling on gear on hard moves of free routes, and no one is looking, of course, then claiming a route is a piece of piss. Uh, that's what everyone does. That uh, okay, not really, but you but you get the idea. Almost a beginner, but with an interest in learning aid climbing techniques. It seems that in Yosemite, free climbing and aid climbing happily coexists. However, for most regions, I imagine that rolling up at a local crag and banging in pegs, sky hooks on flaky slabs, just aiding up a crack with nuts and cams would be frowned upon, to say the least. I'm living in southern Germany and with with an easy striking distance of the Alps when lockdown is over, but don't know where best to look for easy aid climbing pitches, small walls, in order to get some practice. Are there dedicated aid climbing guidebooks for Europe? I never saw one. Also, what would you consider to be a minimum gear to add to a complete free climbing rack in order to do easy aid routes, aiders, etc.? So that's from Sean um, in Germany. So, so first of all, aid aid climbing is 
So aid climbing is only a, it's only like an like someone who goes like free diving and someone who goes deep sea diving and someone who goes cave diving. They they all share like a certain number of skills. So, so it's all about it's all about diving. So climbing is the same. Like if you want to go cave diving, you need to add a, some extra skills compared to someone who's going like deep sea diving or or free diving or whatever. So so aid climbing. So I'd never say to anybody like you know aid climbing is something in itself. It's just a something you you add to your climbing skills. So if you want to be if you want to be climbing sort of gnarly alpine routes, you need to develop your your mixed climbing, your ice climbing, your free climbing, your aid climbing, and then all those other things like bivouacking, ski, you know, skiing, snowshoeing, all these all these kind of things. You're like you're just trying to amass all these kind of skills. Because if you like my like my heroes were people like Paul Pritchard and Silver Caro and uh, people like that who were going off and doing these amazing kind of routes. But it required, you know, some of the routes they did, there were like, there was like, you know, 512 pitches and then there was like A4 pitches and then there was like, you know, you know, M, M5 kind of mixed pitches and stuff. So, so, so that, so that's one, one thing. So if you just want to expand your experience by learning some other things, then that's, that's a good, that's a great idea. So first of all, I would say you want to separate out the different parts of it. So, so dew-marring and cleaning is one of the most important skills, but you don't need to go and do that outdoors. You can do that in a climbing wall. You know, you can do that hanging in a tree, but you have to, you have to practice taking gear out. So, you know, if you went to a climbing wall and someone led a pitch and then you jugged it and then taking all the drawers out, you would learn a lot of skills. Then you need to learn about penduluming, uh, you know, like on lead, like lead penduluming, and then knowing how to second a pendulum when you're on Jumars. Um, and then you have to learn about like hauling, like learning how to haul like light loads, heavy loads. Um, then you have to learn about fixing ropes if you're, you know, fixing ropes on a route. Um, and then bivouacking, like bivvying on ledges, bivvying on on you know, the portal edge, and all that kind of stuff. You're like learning, you're just developing all these skills, and a lot of those skills. You can really nail them um, before you go away, um, just at a, a local crag or whatever. Now the aid, the aid climbing is you got to separate it out into. If you're a trad climber, then you should know how to place gear. And generally, if you're climbing the nose or any of those routes, you're just placing gear, and then you're either free climbing or you're pulling on it, just like French free climbing, or you're uh, you are directly aiding on it. But it's just you know a crack is a crack. You put a cam in it. You keep going. You put a cabinet. You stand on it. You know, there's there's nothing. You know, a note is a note. Uh, even when it comes to a peg, you'll see a placement, and you'll you'll be like, oh, I can't get a nut to fit in there. I can't get a cam to fit in there. And then you'll just like, I'll have to put a peg in there, and you'll you'll work it out. Sky hooks are the same. Nearly every single sky hook placement you're going to use when you first start doing aid routes is going to be like you know like a jug, and you put a hook, and it'll st- you know it might be a small jug like the size of your finger. But it'll be like an edge, and you'll be able to. You'll know that it's going to be safe, and you just have to have confidence. So the the only you know things like placing, you know, placing uh, testing gear is something you have to learn how to test gear and uh, moving on gear, and then you got things like copperheads and some other like some some bad beak you know kind of stuff you know you might have to develop. But you have to. But by the time you get to that point, 
you'll you'll it'll be easy to work out how, how to do all that kind of stuff. So the so the movement thing is about you know what what kind of ADA setup are you going to have? Are you just going to have one ADA? You can have two ADAs, and you can have three ADAs, and you can have four ADAs. So there's all these different ways of ways of doing it. So if you if you've not seen my book, Higher Education, that's a plug by the way, um, that covers everything to the most you know anal kind of detail. I've got any anal stuff in it, but it's got it goes through a lot of detail. So um, so you, and again you can you can practice all that stuff at climbing wall. You can just you know aid up a line of bolts, and you can try it with one ADA, one ADA and a daisy chain. Or like two daisy chains and two aders, or you know, you can you you can sort of just develop those skills so you feel like you can move um, comfortably and you're not getting really tired. Now, if you if you're feeling tired and uh, you're probably doing something wrong, uh, the only only time you should feel tired when you're hauling because you're putting a lot of effort in. But you shouldn't really feel you shouldn't be like hanging on with your arms and you're sweating your ass off and you're like you know all that kind of stuff. You want to be you want to be. Uh, you know, you want to be just just smooth, comfortable. Take your time, and just be efficient. And then when it, so when it comes to putting the the actual testing gear, you you know you can do that on any kind of crag, any kind of trad crag. Uh, you know, you're putting in a wire. They need to bounce test it, and you get on it. Then you put another wire in. You bounce test it. Get on it. And again, it's like the psychological thing of of learning how to bounce test test stuff so you trust it so you get on it. Like if you just like putting wire after wire without testing it, you can be terrifying. And if you're not very good at put wires in, you can you could hurt yourself, you could fall off and all, you'll pull them all out. So it's building it's building up those skills. Like I once tra- I once taught someone to aid climb and went up to the Simplon Pass up in you know, like Swiss Italian border and it, there was like a sport climbing crag and there was all sorts of cracks and stuff and he just sort of practiced on there and stuff. So you usually can find somewhere where you, some scrot, some grotty little place where there's like some cracks and you can practice practice on it. And it depends on what you're practicing for. Like most people are practicing because they want to go and climb El Cap or some you know big wall like that. And I would say just really nail your jumaring, nail your hauling, nail all that kind of stuff. Your abseiling, um, you know, bivy out so you get used to bivying out, and then. Just get the just get the basics of how to aid, you know, and also practice aiding going from free to aid, aid to free, because something like the nose, you you'll you'll be able to free climb, you know, quite a lot of it, and but you might suddenly get to a bit where it's just better just to aid up it and then like go back into free mode and aid a bit and do a free move, do an aid move. So so it's good to learn all that kind of French free, uh, AO kind of um, AO AO kind of climbing. Uh, to be to be fluid really and it's all about you know aid what you you know free what you can aid what you can't so it's not you just you don't want to be thinking like an old-fashioned like i'm an aid climber i'm going to aid everything you just want to you just want to you know work out what works best and in the in the process you'll learn stuff about your footwear like you know wearing rock boots on a long aid pitch is like one of the most painful things you'll ever do and uh you just you just learn you just learn, learn a lot of skills but otherwise, if you can't learn there, then, you know, if you just go out, if you just went out to Yosemite and you did like Leaning Tower and some of those kind of routes, you would you would rapidly learn, learn all this stuff. Uh, you'd learn all these kind of, all these skills very, very quickly. And if you give yourself time, you know, if, you give, if, you, if you're tough enough to, to do a hard route, no, no, if you're tough enough to do a, a route and just take a lot of, water and food and just allow yourself to learn in the process and not um you know not get 
not get too intimidated and not bail just because everything's not going the right way then uh, that that's that's like a good way to do it like i just went to a, a quarry basically and top ropes aiding basically i had a top rope and i would like you know like aid up on this top rope with a with a shunt practicing all this stuff and then i'd like then i would like rope solo i learned how to rope solo it so there'd be rope soloing up from the ground and then in that process like then into jumar and all that kind of stuff i don't think i'd ever don't think i ever did any hauling or anything till i got to yosemite but i'd like uh, now there's so much information out there that it's a lot it's a lot easier so so yeah, so hopefully, well, good luck with that. Hope that works. So now, before we finish, I'll, I'll let's go through some of these stupid questions on Instagram. So here we go. Uh, so, so I asked for questions. So what can swim faster, a dog or a horse? Uh, that's a good question, actually, isn't it? Um, I'd say it was a dog. Is it? I don't know. It depends if you're sitting on him. Um, what do you think of the GameStop Reddit shenanigans? Uh, it's good that people it's good for people to pay attention to these things because most people are clueless how many people watched the big short and thought it was a great film but had no fucking idea what was going on i think that's probably true of, of, of most things what's your favorite color uh green um first place you sleep when you get back from a long expedition couch or bed <laughs> i do it'd probably be bed but um uh they someone said in the driveway um i do know people where they where they've been away such a long time they find it very hard sleeping in a bed so they would just like sleep on the floor because uh, they just weren't, they weren't used to it but i can i'm good at sleeping anyway so wherever i am um what's your tool setup for solo top rope so my tool setup would be a shunt a pestle shunt which you can buy again now and i usually have one static rope and I make sure it's very well anchored at the top. And I would have a, a rope protector going over the edge. And I have a weight on the weight on the bottom. It's not super, super, not super, super heavy, but just enough to hold the shunt down. And I attach the shunt to my belay loop using a mayon, like a, a 10 mil mayon, steel mayon. So it can't be twisted off or, or it won't break or whatever. And then as I'm climbing, I, I'll, I'll tie a big big knots in the rope the idea if it didn't lock off it would uh it would um it would lock so some people use other things some people might use uh a gree gree or a micro traction mini traction pro traction all those kind of things but i don't really like things with teeth in because a lot unless you're going like straight up i don't like uh, if you try to move sideways say you're climbing up and you get to a ledge you have to go along this ledge and go up again as soon as you start going sideways, the teeth will lock up on the rope and it'll it'll jam. And then in the process of trying to unjam it, that's you probably fall off and then it won't work. So um, you what you really want like a foolproof. They really want a foolproof system, but there isn't such a thing. But I personally think the shunt is is kind of close, but nothing is perfect. So people have had horrible accidents with all this kind of gear, including the shunt. Um. Uh, what was your childhood like, and how? Did that steer you towards where you are now? Maybe some highlights of formative adolescent moments and such. That's a, that's a deep question. Uh, I, have a, I have a, there's a, there's a, I don't know if it's on my, I don't know if it's in one of my books, but there's a, there's an article I wrote on the, on my, uh, on my, on my blog somewhere. It's about these kids all like holding me down. Probably was like 10 and all spitting on me. And, uh, 
near the near the rubbish chute uh, in the block of flats where I lived. That was a, that was a that was a very formative moment because I, re- I remember thinking I'd just have to take it. Like, there's nothing I could do. I just had to take it, and it was like spitting, just spitting on me and everything. It was horrible. And uh, so yeah, I I, I, I I met somebody. He was the he was like a he was like was he the, wasn't it wasn't the ambassador for Canada, but he was he worked in the embassy in uh, in uh, Nairobi, and we were in the same hut. And I told this story about that. I was once walking down these stairs in the block of flats and I was like, excuse me to this, excuse me to this girl, these two girls. And one of the girls like kicked me in my balls. And I had this, like, I had this realization in that moment that you should never be nice to anybody because they see it as a weak, they see it as a weakness. And uh, he was like, oh, but then he was, the guy was like, cause he's Canadian. He was like, yeah, but maybe, maybe that was just that one person. And I was like, but I think I still kind of stand by it a little bit about, um, I think it's like an, it's an animalistic thing is about, I'm I'm very like, I'm a little bit like Donald Trump in that I have no empathy and I have no, I I don't really, I have, I don't have any pity for anybody. Uh, I don't feel sorry for anybody. And it makes me, I think it sometimes makes me seem quite a hard person and quite a uncaring person. Uh, but I, 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 I really, I, you know, I do, I do care. I do care. <laughs> I just offered to buy someone a sling for his cam, for God's sake. Um, but it's very, uh, it's very controlled. I think, I think like living, living with someone, living with someone, you know, for like a time who was like paraplegic and seeing how people reacted to her and seeing the pity and all that kind of stuff in people's faces and saying, sorry, all the time oh sorry you know when they just as you go past them oh i'm sorry you know it made me it made me a much harder person in a way and uh i think i'm i think i'm just practical really more practical view of uh of, of people and um and all that kind of stuff so uh i probably must have had some good there must be some good things in my childhood but uh i can't really think of any i just think i think uh yeah i think it's i think it's you're you're I think some people are just spoiled in life. I look at my look at my kids and they're very passive. I think modern kids are very passive. They're it's very hard to get them really excited or you know about stuff. And it's interesting they all they all they're all on TikTok. And you know TikTok's like basically designed you know it's Chinese and what it what it does it makes people very passive. They just like at least Twitter and that kind of stuff makes people angry and uh agitated it kind of makes them it radicalizes people and and radicalization is a very you don't just become you don't just become radical it's like a process you become you know i would say i watch too many peter hitchens videos no um christopher hitchens videos and i hated religion and i hated uh, muslims and i you know i was very bigoted in a way and then in that process, I, I, I questioned a lot of the things that I'd been brought up to believe. And, but maybe like 10, maybe like, you know, 10 years later, you know, you're living in a, you're living in an Islamic country and you can see, you're now I'm living in like a, a Catholic country and the process of radicalization, like I still have a lot of, um, I still have a lot of thought, you know, negative thoughts towards uh muslims and 
and religious people in general, but I also have a lot of positive thoughts. The same as I have a lot of positive thoughts about atheists, I also have a lot of negative thoughts about atheists. And I can see the the pros and cons of both. So when people talk about, you know, like hate, you know, thinking like, uh, you know, they think that Saudi Arabia is this like hellish country where women are treated like like dogs. I would say that women are treated like dogs more in England than they are in Saudi Arabia. Um, so I think both sides could learn something from each other. So, so, so I think radicalization is actually it's just about waking up or being woke. But it's um it's about becoming more taking more notice of things that you that you've never really thought about. So it's just a it's just a process. That's why that's why you always get people who were like I hated Muslims and now I'm a Muslim, or I was a terrorist and now I work for the for the CIA. Um, so so uh so yeah. So I think um, but I do worry now that that young people they just watch uh, they they're not radicalized at all. They just have they just watch uh, TikTok or it's like loads of one minute long shit videos and just waste their lives on it. So it's uh so be it. But that's what happens if you if you get an app devi- devised by like a totalitarian regime. That's what you that's what you, that's what you get. So, um, how much to masterclass two middle aged blokes on the nose? Uh, it's illegal to guide anyone on the nose. Unfortunately, I would I wish it was legal to guide on on El Cap. Um. Not that, not that I haven't, but it's, I wish it was legal because uh, it would be a really good way of making it m- money because it's it's not that difficult. You could probably, I think there's a, there's a good article on my website about, I think it's like a three-part article about how to climb the nose and anyone anyone can do it. If you, if, you know, I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll, 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 I'll give you, I'll find your, it's Anthony, Arbisher, I'll give you a ring, I'll tell you how to do it. It's, it's not that difficult, but what you need to do is just want to do it because if we get there, you know, you might find lots of reasons why not to do it. What's the first? What's the first thing you do when you wake up? Um, seeing as I have a twelve-year-old child, I usually go back. <laughs> usually go back to sleep. Um, I have to get up in the morning. Like he, he wakes up and I have to take him for this like ten-kilometer, twelve-kilometer walk in the morning. So, he, so he basically gets up. He has his, he gets his food, and then uh, I have to take him off for like two hours uh, in the buggy. So I usually have to wake up and. You know, I don't have I don't have I don't have breakfast. I only I only actually have one meal. I only have one meal a day, so I just have that meal when I get home from from uh, getting him up. So um, I think it's good. It's actually very good to read when you get up. Like I don't have so I don't have a phone, so I don't look at the phone when I wake up, which is what every else seems to do. But uh, I was going to try and get into the habit of like getting up and reading. Like, but I do I do quite a lot of reading all night long because he keeps waking up. So when when Vanessa's like for some reason Vanessa looks after him in the night but I don't so uh I'm too old I just, I just can't need my sleep but um but yeah I often like re- reading in the night so yeah reading reading is good in the morning not that I do it uh not wanking um uh synthetic synthetic and down bags combo system recommendations for non-sled context lighter weight carried gear for winter camping um so this the sleeping the synthetic sleeping bag I have been using quite a lot. Like I've had like a hell of a lot of synthetic sleeping bags. Is actually one. It's called the Wiggies. I think it's called the Wiggies Super Light. It's not that light. It weighs. It's not that. It's very bulky. But it's supposed to be. The, it's supposed to got a super light something. I think it's like one point eight kilos or one point five kilos. Uh, but I've used that. I've used that in 
super super cold places like i, I hate thinking how warm he's like antarctic steve mag must be but um but uh, the 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 best synthetic insulation is climb shield and all the other insulations like the the um uh, what they're called um primal loft and all that. like i just think they're all a bit crap they just all break down very quickly so you'll have this sleeping bag that'll look really really warm and it'll be great but very quickly it just kind of breaks down it's not very warm anymore um like it, it's never going to get like super cold because it's still got all the fibers in there but the loft goes very very quickly where the wiggy sleeping bags now if you ever bought a wiggy sleeping bag you probably you'd just be like what the fuck was he talking about it looks like a bag of shit like it's made out of it's just made out of like it looks like it's made out of like the most cheapest materials one known to man but they just work very well and the reason i started using wiggy sleeping bags was a friend of mine who was um dog sledding up in the in the arctic um so he really needed to have like a warm sleeping bag system and he had a two sleeping bag system from wiggies which is a I think it's called a thule, which is in a bag, and they had this like outer sleeping bag. So that means all the ice and shit kind of goes into the outer sleeping bag. So that works. That works kind of wet. That works. That works well. Um, but in in a in a context for um, camping, your know, normal camping, by by having like a down inner bag and then a synthetic outer bag, it actually works really well because you get like a little bit extra boost from the down. But the down never really gets wet because all the moisture is, is sucked out into the synthetic sleeping bag, and then if it ever did get wet, then the then the down bag is is very is very warm, and you can kind of use you can use a synthetic sleeping bag without a bivy bag. Uh, you just like brush the brush the snow off it, and it's it's kind of fine. It's like hydrophobic, so the the, the moisture is not unless you've got direct rain, the moisture is not going to get into your sleeping bag. Now, good good synthetic sleeping bags. Um, like a younger lack, you know, make steam bags which pack down, you know, pack down well. And probably like a, probably what you want is like a three season synthetic sleeping bag and then a one season down bag. And the down sleeping bag I've been using is a PhD liner bag, which is almost as light as a, as a sleeping bag liner. And it's very, very thin, but, um, you know, they, they do some like very good, like lightweight sleeping bags. And now you don't you don't necessarily need to have a you don't necessarily need to have a a full sleeping bag. You could always get like a half sleeping bag, as in the top half, um, like a top bag, and use that inside. You know, a top bag, sat down bag inside that bag. Uh, I was talking to somebody, and he, they always did they did really gnarly big walls in like Baffin Island and Norway, and they always had the, a do a two bag system of a down bag and then a synthetic outer bag. And then one of them got this like sponsorship deal with like the North Face or somebody. He turned up with this like in Baffin with this, you know, all singing, all dancing, Gore-Tex covered um, down bag saying, oh, this is going to be amazing because it's like Gore-Tex. And within about within a few days, it was like it, it would just fall to pieces, like as in it had ice in it and it was full of snow and ice and cold. And so, yeah, a double bag system is is very good uh i'm sure i'm missing like the mountain the mountain hardware synthetic bags the lamb light bags they're 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 pretty good um they just you just always have a take it with a pinch of salt like though it's all to do with it's all to do with the weight really you're not really gonna it's not like they've, they've created a a synthetic fiber that weighs half the much as another synthetic fiber it's all to do with like if you've got human hair 
and you shoved that human hair in a sleeping bag, it would be lofty. But you, but you couldn't say like, oh, this this human hair is like curly. This is going to be warmer. That might actually be warmer, actually. But you know, so it, it, it's all to do with the size. And if if the bag is 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 if the bag if two bags are the same size, and one weighs one kilo and one weighs one point five kilos, and they both have the same rating, then the one point five kilo is going to be warmer. Um, you know, that's how, that's how it works, really. So just look at just look at the weight of the of the sleeping bags. Um, uh, let's say you're on a in a bicycle race. In what position are you cycling when you overtook the rider in second position, third position? Let's say you're in a bicycle race. In what position are you cycling when you just overtook the rider in second place? Ah, first place. Yes, yes, very clever. Uh, <laughs> Why do, why does the brown cow give white milk when it only eats green grass? Now that's a good question. Um, when do you feel most like you uh, in the shower? Uh, does anybody feel like themselves? Hmm. Don't know. Probably when you're crying, I guess. Um, you and a son like he cried the other day. There was some film about. It. It was a film. He said his first time he's cried since uh, he was he was playing on his Xbox and I turned it off, and he started crying. <laughs> so that's probably probably about thirteen or something or twelve. He said he was going to kick me in my face as well, so it was not good. Uh, what is better for whole, What is better for a whole line? A static rope, less stretch, or a dynamic rope uh, can be used as a backup when the lead rope gets damaged. Now I've always, I've generally in the past, I always carried a dynamic rope as a, as a backup. But I've met people who've done that, and the rope just kind of fell apart when they were hauling. So maybe they're hauling really heavy loads. Um, and then recently, I've just used like a static rope. I had like a ten mil static and then a nine mil static. So I guess it depends what kind of what kind of thing you're doing, really. Uh, usually, usually you have a Usually you have three ropes. If you're doing a hard route, you have a zip line, a lead line, and a and a haul line. So maybe your 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 zip line could be your zip line is usually quite thin. It's usually like a you know like a a twin rope or something, or or even like a it could it could be like a static rope. So yeah, I don't really know. I would say I'd say like a a, stat, a dynamic rope is better. What's the best way to use a lot? Utilize my new. North Face Gucci jacket in my layering system. Yeah, so nobody's watching me on on Instagram, but I've been having a bit of a I was having a bit of argy bargy with uh about North Face and a Gucci Gucci line. Um I think I fell out with Comrade Anchor because someone said, you know, I shouldn't really make fun of North Face because they fund loads of expeditions. And I was like, so did so did the Nazi party and they also had a wind power program and Hitler was a vegetarian. And uh, and I think Comrade thought I was saying he was a Nazi, so he got upset. And I was like, so I had to apologise. Said like, you know, the Nazi party were after full world domination, like North Face. Um, what do you think of Pertex Equilibrium? Not properly windproof Pertex or Pertex Quantum, classic proper windproof Pertex. And God, that's a that's a. I, know, I never know what the difference is. Uh, this extends out to: Is it better just to undo your zip? Then have semi-windproof material. Uh, oh, so would would I recommend like a um, 
a pertex which, which has like a membrane on it or a pertex that hasn't got a membrane. So I guess it depends what you want. Like if you were carrying, if you wanted to carry a, <coughs> like a waterproof shell, it didn't weigh anything on like a rock route, then pertex, pertex equilibrium would be, uh, would be the one, I think. Is that the equilibrium? Quantum. Uh, I need to look into this. But it's idea, But if you have something that's got a membrane in it, it's not going to be as breathable or, or breathable at all. You know, like the breathability of it might be, you might be minimal. Um, uh, and if you have a windproof that's made out of Pertex, and if, if it, like Pertex is actually made out of the ribbons the the used on typewriters. It's just the same material, like Perseverance Mills, that's what they made. So they just made like into fabric and then instead of chopping into slices and rolling up for typewriters, they, um, they made it into a material. So what it is, it's a blotting material. So when like a piece of water hits Pertex, uh, once the the uh, DWR's worn off, it'll actually it'll actually just absorb into the entire face of the fabric and then evaporate. That's how it works. So I think if you if you had to have, if you could, I'd probably take both. I'd probably take like a windproof made out of Pertex and uh, some very very light Pertex waterproof as well. And then you've got like a you know you've got both cases both covered really and if not you just have to take the waterproof because probably if you're stuck on the side of a cliff and you only have a windproof on and it's pissing with rain um you'll get wet in both of them but the probably the the waterproof one is going to be better um already used to do this uh can read that one uh, did having kids change your climbing or appetite to risk how did you carry on pushing it on necky roots uh um no not really i think when I, having kids made me do even more stupid shit because i had less time i think i think i tried to make the most of all the time but I, i've never really wanted to die so i've always you know and i did but never i never wanted to stop either so um it's just it's just something you have to you just have to know that when you're doing it you're going to be doing it the best of your ability and you're going to try and do it safely and not imagine that you're going to be this person in the future who's being really rash and doing stupid stuff. So, um, um, if you could ban one mode of transportation to save the planet, what would you choose? Hmm, interesting. Hmm. Uh, Greenpeace ships. <laughs> uh, it's quite a good question, that, isn't it? What would you ban? Don't know. Uh, it's very hard. It's very hard, isn't it, to to answer these? Like it's almost like, what would you rather? Would you rather sterilize, you know, ninety percent of the people on the planet, or kill fifty percent of the people on the planet? What's your, you know, it's like a we. It's not really a, like it's not everyone. Like I live in the middle of nowhere. Like I couldn't cycle, you know. I need a I need a car to get around, and, you know, so it's. Uh, I think it's that if everyone lived in the city, all these choices are easy. Just burn all the cars, and you just have good public transport. But there's a was it there's a, there's a there's an easy answer for everything, and it's equally wrong. So how hard was it to climb the shortest straw, especially pitch one, and the journey through the rain pitch? How did that climb go? Actually, I didn't. I actually climbed. This is so a route called the shortest straw, and when I climbed, I, I wanted to climb it with my ex-girlfriend who was paraplegic and two Australian women who we met in the campsite and but we were so slow 
And then we got to like pitch, we got to pitch four. So it was four days to get to pitch four. So we realized it was too, it was too short. We were going too slowly. And the, the problem was I had to piggyback her to the bottom of the route and she weighs like 65 kilos. So that was like, that was hard work. And then I had to piggyback her all the way back down again. So then we ended up, um, then we ended up uh, coming back and doing Zodiac instead because it was a lot quicker. And then we, just, we did Zodiac in like five days. She had to do like 4,000 pull-ups. And then I had to piggyback her down from the top. But yeah, the, short, the, the shortest straw has got this pitch called The Journey Through the Brain, which is uh, kind of famous because it's like A4, A4 plus, A4 something. And it's supposed to be really, really gnarly. But it's not, it's not really gnarly. But it's nearly, it's got like loads of skyhook moves, all all one after the other. And it's like knobbly rock, but it's like a lot of skyhooking. It's just, it's just straightforward. Just don't fall off. Um, uh, what do you think of sport climbing? I think it's very good. Uh, what is the airspeed velocity of an un, unladen swallow? Um, I think that depends if it's like an Africa one or a, or a European one. Um <laughs> Uh, do you think the the virus comes from bats? No, I don't. I think it came from a laboratory. Um, and now, you know, it's interesting. The laboratory thing is that at one point it was to say it came from a laboratory made you were like you meant you were like a an Alex Jones conspiracy theorist. But now people are coming around to the theory that hey, it probably came from a laboratory. So if you hang around long enough, you know, you'll you'll people realize that they were fucking stupid. And naive. Um, today, funny. I was I was walking today, and someone said to me, some random person, we talking about something, and he started talking about um, QAnon, and I was, and he was, and he was like, you know, about about you know the idea that you'd have this conspiracy of all these paedophile ring, you know, global paedophile ring, and uh, the, the, that kind of thing would happen. I was like, yeah, what what about the Catholic Church? So. Um, uh, is, ster- is sterility <laughs> is sterility hereditary? That's a good question. Uh, would you rather would you rather live in a world where whales could fly when it rains, or when the average human could hold their breath for ten minutes underwater? That's a good. That's a great question. That's a bit like would you rather have a would you rather have ten wives the size of a duck, or would you rather have one wife? Or would you rather have one duck the size of your wife? Or would you rather go out with a, a mermaid that was top half was a woman and the bottom half was a fish or the other way around? Uh, <laughs> if you had to jump off the troll wall into a huge pit full of one fruit, which one would you pick to maximise your chances of survival? You should bear in mind that the fruits would be too soft. You might survive the fall, but only drown in the juice and mush. God, that's a really good question. God. Bananas. I, wonder, I think bananas you might be all right because they're not that juicy, are they? Um, I don't really good at fruit. I don't really know what many, I don't know what much about fruit. Nope, I don't really believe in it. Um, how would you save your inflatable mattress from sharp rocks in an open bivy? Uh, use your rope, like put your rope down, and like when we when we uh, when we did um, and we tried to climb out Kenya, we literally got up to the gates of the mist, and. So we were literally like maybe 50 metres from the top of Mount Kenya. And then we had to bivy because it was, it was very, we were, in a, we were like very stormy. So we just sat down somewhere for a long time. And then the, eventually the, the storm passed and then we kept on going. And we, uh, but it was, we didn't want to keep on going because the gates of the mist. So we just 
we had our mats, our, our thermorests, because that's all we had, and we had one sleeping bag. So we just like laid the thermo. Oh no, we didn't have a thermorest, did we? No, we didn't. We just laid, we just laid on the rope, and we had one sleeping bag, and we, had, we laid on the rope. And it was anyway, but another time you just laid the rope out, put like snake the rope out and then put the mat on top of it, which isn't best. Um, a thermorest, thermorests are quite good because they pack up really, really small in your bag if you're rock climbing, but that is a problem of them bursting. Eventually, that mat got we had that mat, I had that mat for about three years. It went on Denali, went all around, it probably had like a year's sleeping on it, got used all over the world, and then it eventually got stolen on man. I think only ever had one puncture, so. It was this, the lightest one they do. It was very, it's very good. No, don't get the one that sounds like a crisp packet. Um, I'm currently nearly at the end now. I'm currently teaching a couple of newbies winter climbing, and I've only been climbing outdoors four years myself. I like to think I'm well read, and I do tons of research, so they're doing pretty good and got them up a grade three winter stuff already in their first season climbing from one day of practice indoor before we before everything locked down so they're doing pretty good question is question is outside is obvious outside the obvious figure of eight overhand and clove hitch and munter hitch and plus six what are the knots hitches would you say are the most valuable to teach them as you said in a pod vanilla stuff is what people use 99% of the time but there were other things that would would you say would be good and in what scenarios would you use them cheers and thanks for the great content well mr peak fitness i would recommend learning to tie the monster munter or the oh what else is it called super munter uh which is the which is a munter munter hitch inside another munter hitch and it's very it's like an absolute lifesaver for lowering lowering uh someone uh without so you tie both say you're on a say you're on a hundred meter high route which could be like you could be three pitches up uh you could be on an even higher route if there's other people around and basically you tie all the ropes together with an overhand knot and then you tie the other end to the climber and you and you can have two climbers like one the the using a a monta a monta a monster munter gives you like a most uh, an incredible amount of holding power so if you had if you want to lower somewhat lower someone on you know on one munter munter hitch you'd probably be okay um but if it's like if there's two people on that rope then you might you might find it's quite hard you might struggle with it so what you do is you tie your munter hitch and then you tie the other one around it so you've got monster munter double munter and you start lowering them and when the when you get to the knot instead of any shenanigans where you're having to try and pass the knot the knot will just feed all the way around the munter and pop out the other side. You have to look up on YouTube because there's a little... Well, as, as, the, as the heart of the knot goes through the munter, it generally gets caught on the last strand of the munter. So you have to just pop that off. Um, don't put your finger in there because you'll lose your finger if you do that. But, there's a, but anyway, it'll pop off and then you can lower it down. So that's a, that's a really good knot to teach anybody. Um, like the mun, Yeah, the, the munter hitch is good. Is, is is you know teach people how to be lay on a munter hitch is a very is a very good one to to learn um vt prusik learn to do vt prusik that's very good uh like you naturally kind of abseil on a vt prusik because it actually slides it slips down the rope so if you had two vt prusiks you can sort of slip slip them down the rope now if you read my book down it's not a plug for down but down has got 
uh, well, it's got both those things in it. But um, yeah, VT Plus is a good one to learn. Um, like if you're teaching people, what's it's quite good to like do the old Joe Simpson test is is like get them hanging on the rope with their with their rucksack on and their mitts on. This is like in a climbing wall or somewhere, and then say like give them some gear, climbing gear, but then uh, just take away their pussy loops or something. You know, I say, right, now get now get out of that. You know, you you just drop your pussy loop, what are you gonna do? You know, and Simon Yates is gonna come along and chop chop the rope off. You could give him a time actually. You have to get it done by a certain amount of time before the rope gets cut. Um so they're 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 kind of quite good, like sort of problem solving, like how how can you get up this rope? You know, like what can I use or what have I got here? Um and just keep you know, like throwing problems at people is is quite good. Um, you know, trying you know Try and get them to just prussic up a rope with the prussic loops to begin with. Because what you'll find is they've read lots of books about it. But, you know, when the, the reality is very, very different. Like I remember when I was trying to learn to kayak, kayak, like sea kayaking, they always had this image of someone, like you should never lift your elbow above your shoulder if you're leaning into a wave, like a wave's coming in. And they always had a photograph of this person with his, with his leaning into this wave. And the wave was like shoulder height. And so the top of his paddle's on top of the wave. He's like leaning into the wave. So I so but then the first time I ever had to properly use that technique, when the wave came, the wave was like about 10 feet high. I was like, how the fuck am I supposed to get my arm up there? Anyway, so I just got hammered by the wave. So so prusiking is the same. And also like hauling is, you know, hauling is a good thing. Or releasing a, you know, get them getting the get them to set up. There are, there are devices in guide mode, so the rope, rope is locked up. If you're at a climbing wall, get some of those climbing wall bags, those heavy bags, and load it up and be like, right, you have to now haul this person up or you have to lower this person down and just see how they, see how they do it. And also you can just start saying, actually, I'm now removing this. Uh, you no longer have... You know, you no longer have this prusik loop, or you no longer have this piece of gear. I once, when we were climbing in Tuolumne, there was there was a couple behind us. And we we're on this like maybe like five pitch route, and the couple right behind us, and there was you had to cross a climbing over this over this roof, and so I climbed over the roof, and then Vanessa climbed over the roof, and they were at the belay, and then I set off, and then this guy came over the roof and got to the same belay as Vanessa, and then we carried on. We did these five pitches, and we got down, and when we got to the bottom, the woman was like hanging in space over this roof and basically she fell off crossing the roof and he was on guide mode and he didn't know how to release it and he didn't know how to haul her up and she'd been hanging there for hours and hours just didn't know what to do no one else came by so i think in the end i think vanessa we did something we basically helped him. maybe she just told him how to do it but the guy was so freaked out about touching anything that he was going to that he's going to kill her and basically in that situation you can just if you just um just like pump the carabiner, you know the carabiner that's locking off the the rope, the guide sort of carabiner. You just like pump it up and down, back and forth, back and forwards. You'll actually release like like a few centimeter, a few millimeters of rope every time. And sometimes that's enough to get the rope to to feed out. So it's just yeah, it's just like throwing all these uh, things at them, like getting you know getting someone to climb. If getting someone to second an ice route without any ice axes is quite, is quite good. Getting someone to climb without the crampons on it might be a good idea. You know, on on when they're seconding, and uh, you know, if you're at a belay with somebody, if you're teaching them, and you've got this like belay set up, it's like right, I want you to find me 
like another placement, like now try me another placement and like scrape around. And it's good to make, it's good to like look, you know, look around. Like often you do routes where people say there's no gear on this pitch or there's no gear on this B lane. You'll get there be like some old peg and whatever. But uh, you, you know, if you start, you know, like maybe I'll just climb up a bit far higher and I'll get the first bits of gear in and I'll and I'll climb back down with a rope clipped into them. And then I'll and I'll feed them into this belay and and just always like problem you know, problem solving is a you know it's good but I as you you've but I say you've got you've got most of the you've got most of the knots you need really so that that'll be fine so anyway good to be taking these people out um what hard wearing soft shell or alternative could you recommend for tree work dragging wet branches all day what hard wearing soft shell Mm, uh, I guess, yeah, like hard hard wearing clothes. Like it's funny that you probably say the like the the ideal thing is probably is probably something like like it's funny to say this, but cotton is actually if you have a cotton as an outer layer, and you have like a layer on the inside, like a like a pile like like a fiber pile jacket. So if you've got some sort of industrial fiber pile jacket and you wore that next to your skin and then over the top of it you had some sort of heavy duty industrial you know cotton mix kind of jacket you know like canvasy kind of jacket that would probably be the best thing like if you're going to wear any anything else you know it's probably going to get like ripped up if you if you're working you know if you're working outside uh but it's a bit weird like uh, like yeah, cotton gets like a bad, bad rep, but as an outer layer, it's not quite as bad as you as you bad as bad as you think. If you think of all the soldiers, a lot of them are wearing basically like cotton, like a cotton mix um, outer layer, and you know they're not they're not dying. But you, you know you won't want to be wearing like a cotton wet jacket over a cotton t shirt. Like that would be that wouldn't be good. But the yeah the toughness. Like I've been wearing this jacket, which is a like a Czechoslovakian workman's jacket or something. I got it off off uh, some website. It was like really cheap. But it's like really, really tough. You know, if you went climbing in it, it would like last forever. It's got all these reflective things things on it. So um yeah, so so it's yeah, it's it's probably thinking out of out of the box really. And and if you're working out I think I find if you're working outdoors, you actually get quite good at being used to being wet. Like here in Ireland you see all these like builders and people out in the most horrific weather and they're all just you know they would be wearing some bog standard you know pu nylon you know day glow waterproof jacket and uh you know a woolly jumper or something and they just seem to just seem to get used to it so but you, yeah you don't like you know I, i'm a big fan of like you know like the buffalo and stuff like that but if you wore, wore like a buffalo jacket outside uh it would just get ripped up if you're doing like heavy work heavyweight kind of stuff so yeah so like a, the heavy duty like polyester cotton kind of jackets you can get are probably as good as you're going to get they're going to get wet they're going to get heavy they're probably not going to be super waterproof as long as you if, as long as you've got good layers underneath so you know the your, your brinier or that kind of stuff that's gonna they're gonna be warm when it's wet that's that's probably the main thing and also you're not you don't want to get too hot either that's 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 the even that's probably even worse so yeah, that kind of system. I've been wearing it for some reason. I'm wearing a, uh, like a, a sweatshirt, like a, a 
from um, Walmart sweatshirt. I've been wearing that quite a lot because I've been seeing how it works in the wet, um, like wearing it inside out, wearing it like so it got wet and everything else. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been <laughs> it's been uh, interesting, like experimenting with stuff that people would say just to stay away from, like stay away from cotton. So yeah, so I think that's uh, I've got a few more bizarre questions. Want to come climb with me? Want to ride motorcycles? No, thank you. It's a bit like someone asking you. It's a bit like wanting to someone ask you if you want to go base jumping. I think going on a motorbike. The only person knows who actually Mark, the guy who's in um, uh, Ready Steady Cook. Is he really or oh, the Great British Bake Off? Uh, I've never seen it, but he he used to be my one of my climbing partners. Who he ended up losing his leg in a motorcycle accident, and he was last time I talked to him, he wanted to go on sort of solo well cap with only one leg but he was an, an interesting character and he was he was he was like amazing at everything he ever did he was amazing climber amazing mountain biker amazing woodworker amazing photographer he was like and now he's a fucking amazing bake cake baker like it's fucking annoying but i think it's in, in a way it's a bit of a curse people who were good at everything i had a, another friend who was he trained to be a, he was an amazing runner and then he trained to be a, a lawyer and he was a lawyer and then he became a spy. He worked for MI6, and then he, but then he trained to become a doctor. And in his life, he always seemed to just be good at everything. But he's never really content, you know. I think he, he was maybe maybe you're never the best at something. Maybe you always, maybe you know you're so good at stuff, you should be the best at something. But you never stick at it. You never do your ten thousand hours. So, so yeah. So, but yeah, I went to ride motorbikes. It's a little bit like um, once when I was in Norway, someone contacted me and said. Do you want to learn how to base jump? And I was like, No, I'll just I'll just kill myself and avoid all the training. So, so yeah. So on that on that note, I'm sorry this has been a very long podcast, but now I've got rid of all my questions and answers. If you want to send some more, I'll make a new folder. So I won't say the same ones twice. And um, talk to you soon. It's just. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.